Hi, I'm Shelley Wood, the managing editor for Heartwire, and my guests here today are Dr. Barry Mers and Dr. Roger Blumenthal. And uh, my idea for a discussion today came from some um, answers I got to questions in a recent interview around patient intake questionnaires and, and what should be on them and what should physicians be asking about. And I certainly write about some of these things, but I'm, I'm not sure if doctors are asking about them. So I guess the first question would be whether, um, do most cardiologists even use patient intake questionnaires? It's a term I've heard. Does everyone use them? Well, a lot of cardiologists don't, but Noelle and I being more in the field of preventive cardiology and we do a lot with lifestyle and trying to motivate patients, we ask a lot more detailed questions about people's dietary and exercise habits and family history. So I think um, it can be very important. I, I think most physicians' offices do some type of intake questionnaire, if not just to collect insurance information. Um, but then we are regulated, or at least need eventually to have those review of systems. So I think the question is, you know, could what is probably happening in a pretty simple and not specific to cardiovascular disease questionnaire be modified to something that would really be helpful right. uh, to prevention and detection of cardiovascular disease. Because I'm assuming you've got limited time uh, to some degree if you can have the patient with a clipboard give yes. you a bunch of answers before you even spend time with them. Mm -hmm. So what then, um, let's uh, start with you, the, the most important questions on, the, on your questionnaire, what, what are the most valuable? Um, we do ask specifically about family history um, and we actually go over it. Uh, it is one of the major Framingham risk factors, although it's not in the Framingham score, but our new Reynolds score now does utilize it um, and that can be easily accessed online. Uh, so we, we pay attention to family history. Okay. And the more relatives a person has with a, a family history of, of heart disease or maybe hypertrophic cardiomyopathy or sudden cardiac death, mm -hmm. the more likely we are to try to target the patient in front of us for um, certain types of screening and we'll trend to be much more aggressive in the management of risk factors. Some of these patients you see for years, is this something that you give them the first time they walk into their office and never again, or do you actually give it to them again five years later? Well, that's a real good point. I think it's, it's uh, for a lot of the things like family history we go through in detail initially, but we try to make it a habit for return visits to find out if anything new has uh, yeah. occurred with uh, their first degree relatives or even second degree relatives, um, because it may change how aggressive we are in the management of their blood pressure or cholesterol, whether we'll be more apt to start them on uh, aspirin or things like that. They may not qualify for existing guidelines, maybe below the threshold, but knowledge that a family member had uh, just had sudden death or had a right. major heart attack would sway us to be more aggressive. My understanding is that the clipboard comes out the first time, but you, you don't think of it. It's at the very back of the patient chart. Mm -hmm. You don't revisit it. Mm -hmm. So the basic questions I'm thinking I, I would be standard would be things like, do you smoke? Um, do you exercise regularly? Um, red meat, uh, is that something that's on there? Or I, I, I have no idea. So we've been using a, a small standardized uh, dietary questionnaire that mainly focuses on foods high in saturated fat where we go through how many times a week that they um, eat them. But also we want to also find out in terms of fruits, vegetables, fiber, whole grains, try to emphasize uh, what are the, the good food choices and how frequently they are getting them into their system on a daily basis too. We very similarly do uh, uh, that, a, a, fat, a quick fat check, uh, but then servings of these important constituents. And this is a perfect time to be thinking about it because the AHA has just come out with their Healthy Seven. 
Yeah. And, uh, and just in thinking about this, I'll probably go back, um, you know, our servings of fruits and vegetables, servings of nuts, servings of fish, um, those, will be, those are part of the Healthy Seven. And if we anchor questionnaires to those, then you can identify gaps according to AHA standards, hand them pamphlets, brochures, or send them to the nutritionist. So it's probably a good time to be to talking about kind this. Of, mm -hmm. sort of rework those. With these new guidelines. Okay. So the two ones I'd heard in these interviews I'd done recently, one was uh, sodium. Mm -hmm. Do your intake questionnaires ask people if they check sodium content? Mm -hmm. And the other one was, do your intake questionnaires inquire about um, sugar-sweetened beverages? How, how many diet, or not diet, but I guess um, Coca-Colas or, or Sprites do you have per day? Are those things that are on your questionnaires? Well, for, for us, we, we ask about if they add salt to their food and is it low, okay. uh, moderate, or, um, or fairly high, canned soups, how many times a week that they uh, take. And we tend to pay more attention to that in people who have a history of hypertension or history of congestive heart failure. Um, and then we also ask about caffeine and sodium um, intake. But the, the caffeine intake, I think, is, is key because a lot of times we're talking about caffeinated beverages. But yeah. the sugar-sweetened beverages is also important because, as Noel has talked about in the past, that clearly seems to be a risk factor for people tending to gain weight in the future. A lot of empty calories, I guess, is why they're being singled out over other um, less-than-healthy foods. And it seems like there's a much higher risk of people developing diabetes or at least uh, progressive hyperglycemia when they have a lot of those sugar-sweetened beverages. Okay, so we've covered tons of the basics. What about um, some of the out maybe things that are a bit out there. We were talking about one in particular that uh, you mentioned, uh, Roger, was one of the ones you asked about. So for, for men, we, we, we ask about sexual function and the idea that um, erectile dysfunction uh, is a sign often of end organ damage. And um, it, it's a sign of subclinical um, atherosclerotic disease in, in many occasions. And, and discussing that may be our, our one clue that the person sitting in front of us um, maybe is more of a, a secondary prevention type of individual as opposed to a low-risk primary prevention. So that would be a question that says, do you take any drugs for erectile dysfunction or that type of thing? Right, and also okay. just asking, they may not take drugs, but they, if they, they have erectile difficulties. Okay, yeah, because yeah. these are presumably um, issues that patients don't necessarily think to raise. Um, correct, uh, exactly. Any others that uh, should be on there? In your ideal world, if you had the perfect uh, intake questionnaire. Um. Right, so there's several scales that um, are reasonably well validated to talk about exercise. Um, how many times a week do you break a sweat? Um, you know, there are, there are different scales that you can obtain from the literature. Uh, we've actually found uh, more helpful is that uh, fairly simple Duke Activity Status Inventory. It's a 12 question, it's a single sheet, it's non-proprietary, no licenses are needed, and it's very easily scored with just adding up points, no computer is needed. It will give you a functional capacity that is well validated in men and women uh, to be a moderate to good correlate of an exercise stress test functional capacity. And like uh, a history of erectile dysfunction, a low functional capacity, less than six to, to eight METs, um, is a high risk indicator. Um, and you might choose to screen that person, but you certainly would intensify therapy. Uh, these are topics that you two are both passionate about, but some of the things you're describing to me, they may be relatively easy, but I'm not sure how many people do them. Time consuming. Yeah. So a, a general cardiologist or an electrophysiologist or a heart failure specialist uh, 
um, especially if they have a 15 minutes per patient on certain days, it's, that's probably not the, the things that are going to pop into their mind first. Yeah. But uh, I think um, you know, <coughs> the more that we can get answers to some of these uh, questions, and many of us work with nurse practitioners, uh, um, and, and they may, the people who are doing some of the advising and counseling, I think these are important questions to, to ask our patients and, and try to target and try to motivate them as best we can. Right. And it, it, it's actually, they're, they're already doing this two-page review of systems. M most physicians' offices are, are already doing the at the one-time intake, so okay. uh, we'll qualify it as that. But to add a second sheet that would have um, additional screening uh, questions, uh, such as erectile dysfunction and a daisy, and then some lifestyle questions, this can be revisited at the follow-up visits by a nurse or a nurse practitioner who right. can have 10 minutes to do some counseling. In the state of California, our nurse practitioners can bill for counseling visits, and um, we find they're very effective. Uh, and again, hitting that AHA, uh, healthy seven, trying to increase exercise goals. We didn't talk about cigarette smoking, but we ask about passive smoke exposure. Oh, yeah. Um, and we ask about sleep apnea and daytime sleepiness as part of the review of systems, another risk predictor that you might act on uh, as a physician. So it's both screening, but then it's something, it's a go-to that allied healthcare professionals in the cardiac team can then revisit right. and work on the lifestyle. Another area that we both try to talk to our patients about is emotional stress and depression. Yeah. Because clearly those are um, important things Job to know about. Job was something that we heard about at the AHA meeting recently. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Um, uh, emotional stress, emotional strain can play a, a key role. And many times um, uh, we'll talk to patients and find out that they may very well be clinically depressed. That may be part of the reason why they're gaining weight, not exercising, may have gone back to smoking. and and trying to ask some specific questions about their mood and, and stress level and trying to pick out who's really depressed I think is important. You may then try to contact their primary care physician or their patient's spouse or significant other and mm -hmm. try to figure out a, a plan. And many times we, we both try to motivate people to exercise more and try to use getting back into a regular routine of exercise can certainly improve one's emotional yeah. well-being. And are patients honest on these questionnaires, or consciously or unconsciously? Is that something to take into account? Well, it'll, it'll vary, I guess. Uh, uh, no, There's I, little I, incentive I, for them to not tell the truth, I suppose, right. it's their own so health. So. The patients who we know the best, we, I think, tend to um, uh, level with us uh, the most. Those who may be seen as for the first or second time, we may not have gained their trust as much, okay. and maybe they, they may be exaggerating what they no, say. I, I had this uh, idea on the, a recent flight, I had to do one of those airport scanners where you know you walk in and that thing zips mm -hmm. around you and I thought, wouldn't that be great if you could step into a machine and <laughs> do a little zip and it could tell you how many times you eat fish and how many pops you drink a week or whatever, but yeah. I guess that's down the road. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, Star Trek, yes. Yeah. Futuristic, all right. Mm -hmm. Well, in the meantime, it's been uh, lovely speaking with you both and I uh, appreciate your time. Thanks Thank very you, much. Thank you, It's my pleasure. Thank you.